Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What was that? What was what? <laughs> Holy cow. What was that that the Lightning put on the ice in the first game of the Stanley Cup Finals against the Toronto Maple Leafs? My goodness. Um, they were never in this game. Five to nothing they lose. And I think we were talking before the podcast, how long since they've lost a playoff game this badly? Only one time in their history they lost a playoff game by five or more goals. <laughs> That was a 6-1 defeat to the Philadelphia Flyers in 1996. 1996? That might have been, I mean, that might have been one of their first playoff games ever. Yes, that was the, yeah, that was the first year they made the playoffs. Yeah, the old Thunderdome over there in uh, Great St. Petersburg, which is now Tropicana Field. Well, listen, um, nobody said it would be easy. (laughs) Uh, Toronto's a really good team. They were at home. They were fired up. Got the crowd into it early. What was really weird about this game, Steve, is that the Lightning had so many opportunities early on the power play. I mean, they had seven minutes of power plays in the first, I think, 12 or so and could not score, as you said, could not but get but one shot. Let's see, what, three odd man rushes for Toronto on the five-minute major? Mm-hmm. Which was, deserved to be a major. That's a dirty hit. Oh, gosh. That was awful. You know, I don't know, you know t- – Toronto's coach came out beforehand saying, you know, I've watched the Lightning's playoff runs and, uh, you know, all the post-whistle post skirmishes they have. And, you know, it's just going to be a borderline violence series. Yeah, well, it's your <laughs> well, team that brought the violence, by the way. They crossed the borderline, yeah. Uh, that was a dirty hit. But, yeah, the Lightning generates absolutely no momentum in the five-minute major that they get early in the game. And that followed a two-minute power play that didn't generate much before that either. Right. So, right. you know, once you get that and then, you know, Toronto, I didn't think Toronto started the game that great, but that five-minute major, all of a sudden they had short-handed chance after short-handed chance on the rush, and that created their momentum. Um, then they got a couple power plays, uh, dangerous power plays, didn't score. Um, and, and you think maybe they can get through this first period. You know, Lightning aren't playing very well. Maybe they can get through, but then, you know, the uh, – Maple Leaf scored with what, less than three minutes to go in the period? Yeah, it was inside three minutes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it well, kind of went downhill from there. Um, the Lightning were mistake after mistake. Um, Pat Maroon with an awful pass that led to a penalty, which led to a five-on-three. Mm-hmm. Um, Sergachev with some bad passes, uh, just yeah. – a lot of men, a lot of bad drop passes from Cooch, from Point, from Point doesn't look right, by the way. No, he doesn't. And we know he's missed a few games down the stretch. And he said, you know, body maintenance and precaution. Yeah, he's and not this, skating but, the way you know. But yeah, he he's, there's something not right about Braden Point. Don't know what. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the playoffs. You're not going to find out what. But right, right. Yeah, he does not look like Braden Point at this point. Right. Well, they were. Um, the Tampa Bay's power play obviously did not score. They were 0 for 6, and 
so they had like almost 15 minutes of a, of, of a man advantage time, as you mentioned. So you start there, and this has not been a problem for them. Their power play has actually been pretty good of late. But they just couldn't even get organized. Look, I mean, well, when you Toronto, lose faceoffs, and Toronto's very good was, face-offs. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know, they had to keep trying to get into the zone instead of winning mm-hmm. the face-off and staying in the zone. Right. Big difference there. Against right. a team that's as aggressive as Toronto was. Yeah, they gave them no space, no time. They were all over them. They stood them up, you know, at the blue line pretty much every time they would try to enter the zone. And they were just, one word that was used during the broadcast was discombobulated. That's a good word. It's mm-hmm. not used enough. They were very discombobulated. I hate to say this because it's one game, it's a snap reaction, everybody's going you know, to overreaction uh, after game one. And the the reality is if they win game two and they come back home, they, then you've, you've regained home ice and you've done everything that you want to do when you start a series on the road. So none of this will matter. Uh, all that much if if they do win game two, although the pressure's on them now. But they looked slower. They looked uh, a full step slower, if you will. Um, dare I say, they, they, they look like the older team, and, not, and, and they lost composure. And that's the thing that, that surprised me. It wasn't so much that Toronto won, you know, on home ice in, in, when they haven't had a full, full crowd like that in the last several years. Um, it's a really good hockey team. We know that. But what's weird is they lost their composure. You would expect a team that has won back-to-back Stanley Cups, that has the experience that this one has, not to be cross-checking guys. I think they had like three of their penalties in, you know, early in the game were all on just like egregious, you know, unnecessary cross-checks and things like that. Stuff you can avoid. You know, you can't you, – that's the number one power play in the NHL for a reason. They're surgical when they get it. And you've got Austin Matthews, who is just, you know, the the best scorer in the league right now. And he had his two goals in game one. He did his part. Superstars show up, big moments. He got his two goals. But you just simply can't. It, it's hard enough. This is weird because, you know, everybody says, well, in the postseason, it's different. They swallow the whistles, et cetera. Not this crew. I don't think they let anything go, did they? So as we're taping this, there's still some hockey being played. It's late in the the, other, the West Coast series. Right. Four, four games, there's been 34 power plays. That's a hmm. lot. That is a lot. And the NHL actually put out some stats this week that the number of power plays in the postseason is not less than the regular season over the last 10 years. That's right. It's not. The play gets more physical, and mm-hmm. maybe they maybe they could call more penalties. Because of mm, that. Right. Because it is more tighter checking. It is, you know, every pass is challenged. Every every check opportunity is taken in the postseason, where in the regular season maybe it's not. But they don't, there actually isn't less power plays in the postseason than in the regular season, which surprised me. Because mm-hmm. that's not the percent. But like I said, as you see more hits, you see more physicality, maybe you think more should be called. That could be, yeah. And, and you know, that doesn't happen in the regular season because they're not as ramped up or, you know, there's not as much on the line. But, you know, I didn't think Toronto played great tonight, which can be a good or a bad thing. I, well, I, thought, and- they play, I thought they played well, and they were definitely faster. Uh, their power play, 
five on four went zero for five. Yeah, they got a five on three, and that's right. I mean five on three is be you expected. Have, you yeah. had that much time. That's you know if you kill it off, that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Five on threes, you know, when you when you have a length of time, you should score. Their power play wasn't great. It was good. It was a lot better than the Lightnings. Don't get me wrong when I say this, but that's a scary thing. That that maybe you held Toronto down a little bit, or maybe they just whipped your butt and didn't even play very well. Well, that was that's what what would scare me is it that could be that you. You didn't get their best, and they still blanked you five to nothing. And John Cooper said something after the game. I w- look, I wasn't surprised by Cooper's reaction. Okay, first mm-hmm. of all, because because no one's played more postseason hockey, and no one's won back to back Stanley Cups uh, of late um, the way they have, and they're going for history. We know how hard it is to win one, much less two in a row, and they're going for three. So he has the perspective. But what he said after the game was, "I'm not sure we know how good you know like either team." is in this series yet mm-hmm. because we didn't play well and he didn't say they didn't play well but it kind of was like when you give a team that many easy chances mm-hmm. that you really can't judge the series because you haven't seen how well they can play and you certainly haven't played well yet at all so it's hard to say well they're this many goals better than us or you know more or less saying we we kind of just came out there and didn't play um, which is true. I don't. I don't think at any point you would say that the Lightning ever got it back together and and you know sort of got organized and even played like one of the three periods very well. So the series, you know, they, what do they say? The series really begins when somebody wins a game on the road. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the theory? Yep. And and we'll know if the Lightning's able to do that or if Toronto's able to do that when they when they come to Emily. Um, but I I I I don't know. I got the sense. I, I just got the sense that they didn't look not not into it is not the thing, but they, they didn't look prepared for the fight, which was weird to me. You know what I mean? Like you would think the experienced team, the team that knows like may, that experience might show in game two when they bounce back from this terrible opener. That might be where we see it. But you would think that they, they would know and be ready to play and wouldn't look so haphazard as they did and make sort of like the lack of the losing their poise is the thing that surprised me. I just thought that with all the experience they had, you know, you go down one, nothing. I mean, they almost got out of the, here's the thing. They almost got out of the first period, um, down zero. It was almost zero, zero. And then mm-hmm. they give up a late goal and you're thinking, well, if they get one here coming out, you know, and then it's two, nothing. It's like, okay, well, and then they get a power play. It's like, okay, they score here two to one, then the shorthanded goal. Now it's three zero. Now, now you're in deep trouble. Um, but it, it it almost felt like they weren't reacting well to what is playoff hockey. You know, playing on the road, playing with a big crowd against you, playing. You know, all those situations. And and look, I know they won in the bubble one year, and I know at times, you know, a year ago there were limited crowds and smaller crowds and things like that. But it just didn't seem like they were the prepared, experienced team, whereas Toronto uh, was on fire. And you should know what you have to bring on the road in a game one, especially in that city, which is jacked up, by the way. Holy cow. They had a lot of people, as as does the Lightning when they play, you know, the folks outside and all of that. Um, but what an, at- what an atmosphere that was in Toronto. Mm-hmm. That had to be cool if you're a Maple Leafs fan. Um, but But they're going to be nervous, right, because they don't, 
they're not used to playing well with the lead in the series and it's only one nothing but if it gets to 3-1 they'll be the nervous team so i know i the temptation is for fans for everybody and in the media you're not supposed to do this and look at any one game and go well i know how the series is going to go they're going to get destroyed but it kind of felt like they're going to get destroyed. Well, that, that's the hard part when you play a game like this on the first game of the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that you have nothing else to compare it to. That's true. That's a great it's like, point. It's like losing the first game in baseball season out of 162. That's a great point, yeah. You know, is that it's – now, they, Lightning did not play well. You know, it's one thing if they would have lost and you're like, man, that was a great game and they, you know, they played yeah, well. They played their best they and they still bounce. couldn't beat them. They yeah. got a bad bounce yeah. or whatever else, you know. Right. Okay. And, and so it feels a lot worse because of that. And yeah. look, maybe Toronto's going to beat the Lightning this series and maybe they're going to do it in four or five games. They may it's, sweep them. Yeah. Who I mean, Toronto, this is the best Toronto team we've seen in at least a generation. Yep. No question about that. Mm hmm. But you have such a limited sample size. It's easy to just, I mean, at the end of the day, they don't care how many you win by. There's no there's no aggregate goal count like in soccer in the Champions yeah. League. You, you, gotta can, win four. you could lose ten to nothing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change anything for game two. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not trying. You're not chasing goal differential. That means nothing in hockey. It's right. can you win four out of seven? Now the Lightning have to win four out of six. But if you can't match Toronto's intensity, which they didn't come close to tonight. You're not going to win this series. You're not going to win many games, if any, in this series. If you can't come out with more urgency in your game. Yeah. And and it just, they look slow. They did look slow. You know, and we've seen this at times throughout the, the regular season, too. And it's not, you know, some of it was the way Toronto was pressuring them and not giving them the space. And so the passes weren't crisp. They're, I mean, that's usually when the Lightning are slow, it's because the passing's off a little bit. It's not tape to tape. Passes in the skates, passes behind you, and it slows you down. You can't skate as fast. But you know, credit Toronto. They they played a whale of a they played they had a whale of a game plan for them. They went right after Stamkos on the power plays. Gave him. No they did. Space. They 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 didn't let him have anything. Mm-hmm. Although he missed an open net, not mm-hmm. in power play, but my yeah. goodness. You know, they they pressured the blue line and made it very tough for the Lightning to get in the zone. Mm-hmm. They scouted Tampa very well. Now it's up to John Cooper and his staff to make some adjustments. And that's what happens in a series, too. It's not like the regular season where now you're off to go play somebody else tomorrow and then somebody else the day after that. You're playing this team for at least four games, up to seven, and there's adjustments made between each game for both teams. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. But a disappointing effort by the Lightning. Like I said, you know, if you lose game one, at the end of the day, I mean, here's the thing. If Tampa Bay comes out and Wednesday night wins, whether it's one nothing, 6-5, to five, doesn't matter. You come back True. to Tampa 1-1, do you think the series is over? Do you think? No. All of a sudden, the Lightning have home ice advantage. That's right. Doesn't matter that you lost one. Doesn't matter how bad you lost it. As a fan, it's tough, particularly when that's the only playoff game you have this year. It's tough. Well, and I think you make a good point. We don't know what this is mm-hmm. because it's humiliation, and mm-hmm. we don't know what's going to happen in this series because we can't predict things like that. What's interesting is that going into the series, and you talked about this the other day, 
The analytics suggested Toronto would win and win fairly handily in this mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. But the people who are around in, in, in and about hockey were like, mm, you know, you still they're, they're battling their own their own choking history when it comes to the postseason a little bit. And no one's ready to just, you know, take the crown off the champion's head. There's a reason why they show up this time of year the last two years. And so they're not just willing to fall into the into the trap of what the computers say. But but that's the thing as we sit here analyzing this after game one is maybe maybe the best thing you can say is we don't know. You know, that we don't know what this was. If this shows up in game two, now now we know. Well, okay. the other part of this is is this game was a weird game. And you and I were texting a little bit during it, particularly early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 11 out of the first 20 minutes were on the power play. For yeah, it's crazy. Up. Right. It's then not you hockey. had several more early in the second period. Yep. There was no five-on-five flow to this game. No, none. Mm-hmm. None whatsoever. That's true. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, one, uh, Chris Crenn was t- telling us, you know, Cal Foot late in the first period had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That was his, like, second shift. He'd been on the ice for 40 seconds in the first period. <laughs> because it was all pe- power play and it penalty. It was power play and special teams and, the and, whole time. Yeah. You know, you've got guys that aren't on the ice very much during that time. And yeah. so how do you get into a flow? How does Nikita Kucherov get in the flow if you're constantly on the penalty kill? Because he doesn't play the penalty no, kill. No, it's a good point. It's a good you point. Know, and Braden point. And, and, you know, tam- I mean, look, Toronto had the same scenario, too. Don't get me wrong. It's not that this only affected Tampa Bay. Yeah, they but, had to but, kill off a five-minute penalty. So. But it's a weird game to just sit there and say you know how the series is going to go because of how how many power plays early and and just kind of the way things unfolded. It was just it's it's a hard game to say you know what's going to happen. You know right. that Toronto brought a better effort tonight. They deserve the mm-hmm. win, right? Uh, no question about that. The Lightning gift wrapped a lot of that for them. And and if if the Lightning are going to play this way the rest of the series, it will end pretty quick. Yeah. Well, how fast do you think they can flush it? Because they've lost games before. Because they've been in these situations where they're down one zero on the road before. I mean, does that help now? Or or yeah, or? I, mean, I don't. I don't. I think you know. By the time you go to practice, you know today. Because this is when you have. On. I mean, this is where you can make adjustments. Except that, like you said. It's hard to make adjustments when you've been playing with a man advantage or down a man advantage. The adjustments you're making are mostly on special teams. Well, like, but, like, but that's some of it. I mean, okay. That's some of it. They're shading towards Stamkos. What do we yeah. do to counter that? Yeah. How, are we, how are we going to get in the zone better? And, but right. some of that carried over to five-on-five five play, too. I mean, Toronto yes. would, would stand up at the blue line very well. They did, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So how are you going to do that? Some of your breakouts and your passing decisions. You know, whether it was on the penalty kill or the power play or five on five, right. bad passes are bad passes. Yeah, you know, I mean it's, that Pat Maroon pass that oh. was about the slowest, laziest pass you've seen back to the point. Yeah, that caused the five on three, and then you know that shorthanded goal. If I saw it right, and I, I didn't necessarily see a replay, but Kalorn tries to send it around the boards and it hit a ref. Yeah, they it, got some bad bounces. Hit too. the ref, and then so then. Toronto stole it and shot it up the ice and you know a good play on them and the rest part of the, the game I mean that's part of it but it was very disappointing the Lightning's effort you do start to question whether they have it in them again mm-hmm. 
but I don't rule them out yet. They're still the the two-time defending champs with all that talent. Right. Let's see how they respond in game two before you write them off yet. But it's okay to question them. Well, sure. And and everybody will and should. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is whether they, they doubt themselves, whether there's doubts in their own mind as to whether or not they can get this done again. Um, but there's still a champion's heart, you know, beaten underneath those lightning bolts. I mean, they, they have a lot of pride. I just expected them at some point, maybe the third period, at some point in that game, I expected them to say, okay, we've got to start playing the right way. Um, Stamkos said after the game, um, he made reference to the fact that, listen, if we don't play defense first and and protect our goal, you know, and not turn it over and give them rushes and things like that, um, then it really doesn't matter what we do on offense. Our offense has to come as a result of protecting, you know, protecting our own side, our own end. And so he felt, you know, they, they had too many giveaways, and they did. I mean, it could have been – we always say this about Vasilevsky. It could have been much worse. They had some one-on-none breakaways that he stopped mm-hmm. and, and more than one. Um, so he, he still made some good stops even though they, they gave up five goals. They certainly weren't all on him, if any, especially when you have a two-man advantage and things like that. And they didn't stop Austin Matthews. I mean, he, he comes away with two goals, you know, which is not the box score you want to see. If you're the Lightning, you'd like to see somebody else beat you. Um, I was listening to Brian Embong, and he said, you know, it looked like Toronto was finding their man or finding a man and, and tightly checking them, whereas the Lightning were kind of scrambling almost in a zone-type uh, reaction to what Toronto was doing. You know, mm-hmm. um, Toronto was faster uh, picking up the body than they were, than, than the Lightning were kind of just chasing the puck around. Um, but those are all, you know, the kind of adjustments and, and stuff that, that Cooper should be famous in, in making. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. We, we, I, I tend to think that, that it looks like a tired hockey team. We've talked about going into it that the other two teams that played close to this much hockey are not in the postseason. Um, this year, and so the Lightning made it good. Good on them, but what what do they have once they get here? And we're going to find out. We're going to find out if that that champion's heart can still beat and and can put pressure on them. Because the thing about Toronto and their fan base, and even maybe even some of their teams' psyche, is that they haven't won the four games it takes to to continue to go in advance. And until they do, like, like Cooper said, you know, it's one game. You need to win four. And that's, that's a different, like, and you said this going into the postseason, like everybody has the same time off. Everybody has the same travel schedule. You know, um, you're going to eventually play at Emily arena right now. They have home ice. It can be taken away with one win. So we're just really early into it. But, but the, the best news of this whole thing is that you go back and you look at Maroon's giveaway, and John Romano wrote this in his column. He's like, you know what? Um, you know, you had the Maroon. Wahoo, you had the Steven Stamkos misfire the wide open net. That a boy. You know, like kind of, okay, well, those are glaring, egregious mistakes that you go, eh, yeah, it's a bad day, bad game, you know, and and you can cling to that. That's something you can hold on to and say they didn't play well. They we don't know what this series is going to be because they kind of gave it. That that was Cooper's point. Was like, well, you know, series hasn't really begun. They have a win, but we, we neither team knows what the other one has because we kind of just kind of gave it away to them. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the best thing you can say. When the best thing you can say is you don't know, um, I don't know if that gives you a ton of hope, but it's true. You don't know because they didn't play well. And when, when if, if this had been a game where the Lightning played awesome and the goaltender stood on their head and everything they threw at them, Toronto came back and, and you know, beat the hell out of them five to nothing, then you would be seriously doubting whether the Lightning could win a game. But that wasn't the case. By the way, has anybody checked on Jan Ruda's head? What? Cooper, that looked like Cooper a nasty said he thought gas. he was okay. I mean, they asked at the end. He's like, yeah. Woo! That was a lot of blood. Yeah. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen that kind of blood in a while. It got kind of ugly there for a little bit. It did. And that's usually what happens in those games. when it gets Right. Those One team's out. frustrated, right? And then, yeah. then they start to fight. But. The other the other thing, too, and just remember, the Lightning have won back-to-back Stanley Cups. Not one series mm-hmm. in those two years did they sweep at 4 nothing. True. They lost a game to every team along the way, at least one. They lost three to the Islanders last year. But, right. they, you know, it, it's, it is a, as they've said, a marathon, not a sprint. But oh, it is that. You sure like to get out of the gates a little better than what they did tonight. <laughs> yeah, you would. Instill just a little more confidence into your club, into your fan base. You, you'd anyway. rather not come back home down 0-2. No, no. You're not because, out of it at 0-2. Coming home. But there's so much pressure at O two to win. Yes, you know, yes. if you can, if you can get the one Wednesday, however you do it, then you come home. Now it's a win three out of five with you having home ice. Right. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to have to win four out of five. And this is a team that we've said this often, and this is why I'm gonna. I'm curious how they'll respond on Wednesday. This team almost hates losing more than they like winning. It's true. And they usually come out after a loss and play well, particularly a bad loss. Yeah. So we'll see how they come out Wednesday. That's they're, gonna they're in, that's gonna tell us a lot about how this series is gonna go. Well, and they they're embarrassed by this. Mm-hmm. I would I would think that they're gonna look whether they watch the tape or don't watch the tape or whatever the, the psychology is there, they know what they they know what they put on, on the ice. They that that was embarrassing. You know, there's no other way to say it. It's just it wasn't a good product. It wasn't what they're about. It's not what they expected when they got here. You know, everybody been talking about, like, down the stretch, they were kind of, you know, they, they went through their struggles and, and um, who knows who was healthy and who wasn't. But it was sort of like, yeah, but, you know, they know they're in the playoffs. They're, they're just waiting to flip switch. And they did play better towards the end of the season. They certainly did. Um, and they looked like they had a little momentum, uh, especially offensively, going into the postseason. But maybe, maybe you know, Maybe it was more the, the, it was more indicative of, of who they are the way they struggled at the end of the season. I mean, all I know is Toronto. I think they said won eleven out of their last twelve games, or something like that. And you know, they came in with with a lot of wind in their sails. And I think confidence is everything in sports. And they have they're a confident team. And why shouldn't you be? You've got the world's greatest scorer. You know, um, you've you've just got a hell of a hockey team. And and now. We'll find out when they play, you know, again. But it was disappointing, and um, it was over quickly. You didn't have to worry about whether or not there was going to be a comeback, that's for sure. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Bucks because they, of course, are still trying to fill out their roster after the draft. We had the draft last week. Uh, this week is is a week to sign some undrafted free agents, and you know you get up to 90, 90 men on the roster. I think they're at eighty nine right now. There will be players that will be released. I think after this draft, I'm looking at you, Bradley Pinion. I think there's a, a likelihood that that could occur, and and some others. But right now they're almost to capacity, and they're bringing in both um, you know, undrafted free agents that they have signed. And 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 in particular, I wanted to talk about um, what I think I see in this list of guys that were signed as undrafted free agents. Three of them are wide receivers. Now they didn't take a receiver in the draft, which is it, sometimes it just doesn't fall the right way. Okay, and they they gave up. Christian Watson because they moved down from 27 to 33 and Watson went to the Packers, you know, uh, who jumped ahead of the Bucks, And, and they said there were, you know, just one player, Logan Hall was the only guy left on their list that they would have taken at 27 when their pick at 33 came around. So they took Logan Hall, which means some of the guys that went between 27 and 33 were guys they had rated higher. Presumably one of those might've been Watson. Nonetheless, he's gone, and they didn't take a, a receiver in the entire draft. They took a couple of tight ends, a running back, and then mostly defensive players. So the undrafted free agent part, they kind of made up you know, for what, what they didn't get, and that is they signed three wide receivers. And here's what I see in these three wide receivers. And I think this is interesting because, first of all, when you're not drafted, there's usually a reason. And that reason is generally you played at a lower division, your 40 time wasn't that good, or in the case of these guys, you're just small. You're, you know, you're not a very big player. Um, but listen to this group of receivers that they signed as undrafted free agents. Jareth Stearns, let's start with him, and that's where you should start. He's a wide receiver from Western Kentucky. This dude led the nation, I mean the entire nation, with the most catches, 150, the most yards, 1,902 receiving yards, and the most touchdowns, 17, of any receiver in the nation. And this Division I Western Kentucky, granted, you know, not playing in the SEC, but whatever. Um, only three players have won the Triple Crown in the past 20 years, Michael Crabtree did it at Texas Tech in 07, and Devontae Smith just did it in 2020 at Alabama. So this dude goes out, and he leads the entire nation in receiving. And you say, well, geez, you know, what production? He, and that's what you want to see. You want to see a guy dominate if he's not at the you know, top-rung conference or school. The problem is he's five foot seven. Five foot seven. Began his college career at Houston Baptist, 
most likely because of his lack of size. Um, his pro day, he didn't wow anyone with his speed. He ran a four five eight, um, but but he can get up. He's got some hops, forty inch vertical jump. So he plays bigger because he can leap um, out of a building. And those kind of guys that catch that many passes, they're getting open and they're not dropping balls and they're probably getting a lot of chances, but that's an incredible amount of production for one college season. Then they sign Devin Tompkins out of Utah state, another wide receiver. And he's even smaller uh, by a little bit, five foot six and seven, eight inches, just, just below five, seven and 167 pounds, which is about what Deshaun Jackson weighed when he came out. Um, but he also put up some crazy numbers. And he had 102 catches for 1,704 yards and 10 touchdowns. So, again, Utah State, um, Western Athletic Conference, not not the Pac-12 necessarily, but dominated when he got the chance. He's also crazy athletic. Like, unlike... Stearns didn't run particularly well at his pro day. This cat turns in a 4.35 in the 40 and had a vertical leap almost the same, 38 and a half inches. And he's the ultimate guy that goes down the field, okay? And then you have Kalen Geiger, the third receiver that they signed that was undrafted from Texas Tech. You know, big 12 wide receiver, bigger uh, at 5'9", 172, not the biggest, of course, of any receiver, but bigger. Uh, and, he, and like I said, you know, the production, not the crazy sort of, you know, numbers that those other two guys produce, but still solid, 44 catches, 533 yards, and a touchdown. His first two years before he got to Texas Tech, he was at Troy. Um, so after playing three seasons, you know, he had over 2,100 uh, yards and nine touchdowns. So this is a guy that also was very productive, but they're all what? Small. Most of them very fast. Hmm. Where has Tom Brady done well with small, fast receivers? Well, you had Wes Welker, you had Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman. This is the thing that was not present in Bruce Arian's offense, the the smaller slot receiver that could work sort of the middle of the field, win sort of option routes, and these can make themselves available to Brady. And the reason is that in in the offense that you know Bruce has been running, and Byron Leftwich calling, they prefer to have a bigger slot receiver that can really crack down on linebackers, defensive ends, and the like in the running game. And that's that's what the big physical Guys like Chris Godwin, uh, who am I thinking of with the Cardinals? Larry um, Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald, right. Heinz Ward in Pittsburgh. Those are the guys that have typically played the slot in Bruce Arians' offense. I think this is one of the differences you're going to see in Todd Bowles. And, yeah, we can throw Scotty Miller in there because they didn't make very good use of him last year. He all but disappeared. He had some injuries, but he all but disappeared, you know, in the offense. Now, Look, uh, Antonio Brown's not the biggest guy, and he was able to play. He played outside, uh, and so he wasn't too small to play a year ago, two, you know, for the last past two years. Of course, still one of the best receivers of all time. Look at his numbers. He's a Hall of Fame player, 
I don't care what you say about his attitude or taking off his shirt and all that. But I think, and I could be wrong, but I think there's room on this football team for a slot receiver that's more reminiscent of what Brady used in New England, and I think Todd Bowles will let him go to it. Yeah, I, interesting. I think Bucks fans would love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Tom Brady it is also – look, Tom Brady's going to be 45. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you have slot receivers in those routes, those are quicker routes. Get the ball absolutely. out, you hit less. Absolutely. You know, yards after catch with that speed. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's allowing Tom Brady not to get hit as much. Absolutely. As you've got new guards on your offensive line. Mm-hmm. And maybe new tight ends blocking. Maybe not Gronk, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, right. you know, this is all about protecting QB1 and, it's, and making use of what he does well. And that the second part of that, I think there has been, obviously, you know, the first year we've chronicled over and over again, seven and five, meeting in the minds, you know, he needed more play action. He needed more pre-stamp motion. And, and, and over time, even last year, it looked more like what you, it in fact, was Brady's offense for the most part operated the way he did so in New England. Um, ran the ball more. I think he wants to run it even more. In fact, I know he does. And, and, you know, the fact that they went out and got a running back to help him do that is not an accident. Also got a running back who caught 44, 43, 44 balls and is a natural pass catcher as opposed to even Leonard Fournette, who while he has caught a lot of passes, he's not going to win option routes and split wide out. You know, he, he's, gonna, he's a guy that's good in the screen game. He's good in the, in the check down game, all of that. Um, but, you know, what Brady is used to are guys that can come out of the backfield, split out wide, and and beat line, win the win the route, uh, and make themselves available to Brady over the middle of the field for those quick throws and then yards after the catch. Tom Brady, it stands to reason, without Bruce Arians as the head coach, and he's had you know Byron has done all of it as far as an offensive coordinator goes in the three years that Bruce was here, but he was running Bruce's offense. Byron is now running Tom's offense. And they may call it what Bruce wants to call it, but it is looking more and more like Brady's. And I think without Bruce Arians there, some of the concepts I don't think Bruce would have gone for. Um, I think Todd Bowles is going to. And it would not surprise me if one or more of these guys are on this football team in addition to making better use of Scotty Miller. And we'll see where... Richard Perriman, we'll see where Sour Great Cyril Grayson fits in, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're definitely looking for speed. They don't care about the size of the receiver. I mean, obviously, if these guys were bigger, they'd all have been first round picks because we see how many receivers went in this draft. Um, they also got a guy which was reminiscent of Cyril Grayson in Braylon Robinson, who was a track star at Alcorn State. Now, this cat you know, can run the 100 meters like nobody's business. And he he ended up going to Jackson State's pro day. Uh, he played, I guess, high school, some some receiver in high school. But he ran a 4-2-8 at Jackson State's pro day, elite Olympic-type speed. And he's going to be out there uh, in a tryout basis sort of as a guy um, like Grayson that maybe maybe you put on your practice squad 
and maybe you know he learns how to play the wide receiver position. Um, but they made good use of those guys last year that came off the practice squad, and, and it's very likely one or all of these guys, if they don't make the regular roster, will be on the practice squad this year. But I think that there is something going on here that Brady is going to get in his comfort zone with some of those quick, fast yards after the catch guys that can win on the line of scrimmage, even though they're not the biggest dudes. But, you know, I mean, like somebody said, I went on Twitter where, you know, they'd read my story and they said, well, you know, these guys are just fast. I'm like, wait a minute, they're just fast. He goes, well, they're just they're just deep threats. They're just fast. Whereas Edelman was a precise route runner. Edelman was a quarterback. Let's be clear. He played quarterback at Kent State. He didn't play receiver. He learned all this once he got to New England. Uh, now, he might have had an advantage because he understands the passing game from a quarterback standpoint. And so running routes might not have been a hard transition for him. Um, but he was not a finished product. He was a project when he got to New England. And we see what kind of receiver he became. Speaking of Edelman, did you see where Gronkowski uh, did one of these interviews, I think, from his little Super Bowl party? Mm-hmm. And, and somebody asked, they said, well, if Julian Edelman plays in Tampa, would you be more inclined? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Julian plays, I'm in. I'm going. And it was just Gronk being Gronk because I'm here to tell you, and Edelman, you know, he's the one that did the April Fool's thing, remember, when he was mm-hmm. in uh, with you know, throwing with Tom or whatever, uh, or I'm coming to Tampa Bay, that kind of thing. His knee is so bad, he is never going to play again, and I think he has said that. And Gronk knows that. And Gronk knows it. But he's just having fun, and everybody's like, oh, that'd be great. We could get Edelman. I mean, Tom can get pretty much – if Tom really wanted Edelman on this football team, he probably could get it. But I think even Edelman knows that he's done. He's been doing inside the NFL for over a year now, and I think he's good. Although I think he's also making a movie right now um, I saw where Brady, you know, had on his social media picture with him and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the movie they're making and, and Gronk and Edelman are part of that, uh, because it's about that Super Bowl, uh, where they came back, you know, down 28, what was it? 28 to three or whatever mm-hmm. against the Atlanta Falcons. And so they're together uh, or will be, um, doing this, doing this movie. But yeah, I, I, I mean, we're pretty sure that Edelman is done. We're also pretty sure that Gronk is having too much fun right now to to commit to anything beyond whatever his next you know appearance is. Because we know Gronk, and we know he's going to keep himself in shape. We know he's going to work out. He was working out the other day with Derrick Henry. Everybody's like, ah, maybe he's going to Tennessee. He's going to do these things. What he's not going to do is go to OTAs or mandatory minicamp because he doesn't have to. If he decides to play, he'll he'll roll out a bed, ask his mom where his football pants are, try to get that damn insurance they won't sell him, and then he'll go to one buck and he'll start playing. What I what I'm looking forward to is to see if Gronk shows up over the next couple months. Because you know Tom at some point is going to start throwing to his guys, if he hasn't already. And when he does that, is Gronk going to be part of that? Because he has, he has done some of those offs. Now, does he need to be? No. No one's caught more touchdown passes um, you know, from anyone uh, almost as far as the combination goes than Gronk and Brady. So it's not like they have to go out there and run right, routes. They can do it in their sleep. Um, but I, I would be interesting to see if he does show up at one of those uh, you know, sort, of, sort of passing camps that Tom likes to hold, uh, even though he's not going to go to OTAs and he's not going to go to um, – 
anything but the mandatory mini camp, he still wants to keep his arm in shape. He's a guy that likes to throw a lot, likes to throw to his guys, and I still think you'll see that. So interesting developments, though. I just I would just say keep an eye out for some changes maybe this year in the Bucks offense that will permit some of those smaller receivers to get on the field more often, particularly in the slot like, like Brady's used to. And since we're up late, we got late night with the Rays out in Oakland, a final Rays 6, Oakland A's 1. So the Rays do the job out there on the West Coast, part of a three-team swing or three-team uh, series, I guess. They got them, they got Seattle and Anaheim, I believe. They'll be hooking up with Joe Madden. I think it's their only West Coast trip of the year, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. But... Central time zone, the rest of the way out. That's crazy. No, That's really no good. No further west than the central time zone, I should say. Yeah, exactly. So um, so you got to stay up late for that. But, yeah, the Rays won. Um, pretty good day for Wander Franco. I think he had a couple hits, maybe an RBI or two. He did well. And, of course, uh, Rasmussen pitched really well. So good night for the Rays. They bounced back after losing two to three against the Minnesota Twins. We'll get you ready for game two of the Lightning at Toronto. That, of course, will take place on Wednesday, right? Wednesday night, I yep. believe, yeah, Wednesday night. Uh, the Bucks, by the way, today we're going to be at uh, the Advent Health Training Center talking to Bucks assistant coaches, which we get to do a couple times a year. Always interesting. Um, a couple staff changes, obviously co-defensive coordinators, things like that. Um, but mostly, you know, to talk about the draft picks and, and sort of where they think um, some of these guys will fit in. And also, give us your mailbag questions. Uh, we'll be doing that later this week. You don't have to wait uh, at any time. You can send those to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.